little toasty in here. I turned the fans on. You'll have to forgive me in about 10 minutes if I take this jacket off, which I was using to kind of dress up this shirt, but may not be able to carry me through. <laughs> well, it's a privilege to be preaching again uh, this week. Our uh, pastor, Gray, is on vacation with his family, well-deserved, and so I'm covering for him here. Let me start by reading our scripture this morning, and then we'll uh, have some prayer. Our scripture this morning is from Romans 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might become the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he, also, whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, please be very active and present in this room this morning. You have already been in our worship and confession. I pray that you'd also be in, in, in the preaching and communion, that as we gather, we would be seeking your face. We know you're here with us. Thank you, God. Amen. Um, in 1940, the author, who you probably have heard of, C.S. Lewis, he was 42 years old, and he published a book titled The Problem of Pain. Now, Lewis had experienced a lot of pain in his life. His mother had uh, died when he was nine. He had been in the First World War and had seen friends killed, and he had lost dear friends to sickness. At the time of this book, Lewis's father had already been dead for a decade as well. So he, he was 42 and had lost both his parents and had seen much loss and suffering. Still, as he reflects on pain, listen to what he says about pain and how God uses it to speak to us. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God speaks to us in daily things and in our conscience, but he uses pain as a megaphone to communicate to the world. In other words, God uses pain most of all to startle people into seeking him. And according to Lewis, this pain is that, that megaphone by which people seek God. This quote is very famous. Lewis is actually a pretty quotable guy, so this is just another one in his, in his Hall of Fame quotes. And you, you probably have even heard it before. But this quote is actually not the full story 
of pain in C.S. Lewis's life. Because in 1961, 21 years after he publishes The Problem of Pain, Lewis publishes another book. It's called A Grief Observed. A Grief Observed is very short. It's hardly 70 pages. And it's just four kind of stream of conscience uh, jotting down raw emotions as he is experiencing the death of his wife. The book was also published four months after he was diagnosed with ki kidney inflammation, which would, that disease would actually take his life two years later. So in this other book, A Grief Observed, Lewis writes a highly raw, unfiltered feelings that he is having since his wife has passed away. Listen to this quote, and the introduction to this book is written not by Lewis, and the guy says, this man is being completely naked emotionally, and I really like that expression because you will hear that in what Lewis writes. Where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. A few paragraphs after that, Lewis writes, I'm really not in danger of not believing in God anymore. I'm in danger of believing that God is dreadful. So which is it for Lewis? Is pain a megaphone that God uses to bring us back to him? Or is pain a sign that God is gone? And the lights in the house are dark. And you knock, but the door is slammed in your face. It seems, seems to be slammed in your face. You are somewhere on this spectrum this morning in regards to the pain that you're dealing with. Maybe you're with Lewis in 1940 and the problem of pain. And you're experiencing pain you're saddened by pain, you're hurt by pain, but you know that God is faithful and leading you through it, and your faith is empowered uh, through this pain. But perhaps this morning, you may be closer to Lewis in 1961, feeling a pain so raw that you don't, don't even feel God's presence. You are, what the you are in what the Bible calls the valley of shadow and death, where the presence of God seems gone. That's, that's the range of human experience <laughs> in regards to suffering. And wherever we are on that, the question 
comes to our minds, what is God doing about my pain? Where is God in this pain? God isn't doing anything about my pain. And my, my heart is heavy with this this morning because I feel inadequate to speak into that because I know some of the pains in the room and I know, some, I, know that I know that I don't know all of them. And it's a heavy thing. But the scripture that we just read and that we're in this morning does speak to this idea of pain. There is comfort here. There is hope here. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We just read Romans 8, 26 through 30. But if you had looked further back in your Bibles, further in chapter 8, you would have seen that Paul has actually been talking about pain and suffering before this text that we're looking at this morning. Paul is writing about suffering throughout creation. And he's, he, he says that there's pain in the world. He frames it with this metaphor. The whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Pretty much the worst pain that we can talk about in, in a physical sense. Some of the worst pain. Creation is groaning in these pains of childbirth. Paul's talking about suffering. He's talking about sickness, breaking down, dying. These events are happening all through the world in every country and every culture. To quote a famous book title that I actually haven't read, but I think about this title sometimes. <laughs> Things fall apart. <laughs> I added it to my Amazon wish list uh, yesterday, so I will be, I'll be reading it one day, but things fall apart. I haven't read the book, but that is a great title. <laughs> that, is, that is the world. So much of the time, things falling apart again and again and again. It's a groaning and it's a pain. Does God want anything to do with this? Is he doing anything in this? You're probably wondering that very question this morning. And if you're not this morning, I almost can guarantee you have in the past. We all have. Why hasn't God done something about our pain? Our scripture this morning gives us two answers to this question of God and pain. The first is that in our pain, God is comforting us in those moments. God is helping our pain now, even if he's not taking it away. And the second one is that God actually will save us from pain one day entirely. That is the Christian hope. God is helping, again, I'll say it again. God is helping in our pain, suffering, and loss now. And he also will one day save us from pain, suffering, and loss entirely 
completely. Let's go back to verse 26 and 27 and see how God is helping our pain now. The first part. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Our weakness is those struggles, those pains. The Spirit is helping in our weakness. How? For we don't know what to pray as we ought. In other words, we should know how to pray. We should know what to pray for. You felt this in your pain. I should be able to communicate this to God, but I can't. I have nothing. I have nothing left. You think this is, this is Lewis's pain when he says, we, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. It's our weakness. The door is slammed shut. There doesn't seem to be any lights on in the house. Is anyone here? We feel abandoned. But the Spirit helps us in that weakness. We don't know what to pray for or even how to pray. God's Spirit is interceding on our behalf, deep within us. He's pleading in deep groans. When the loss is too great or the suffering is too hard, God in His Spirit is crying out deeply within you. He's capturing your torment and communicating that to God the Father on behalf of you. This is an almost amazing and strange idea. These two uh, members of the Trinity, these two persons of the Trinity, over your pain are connecting in a process of pleading on your behalf before God. So when you're sitting on your floor and you're not even sure what to say, in that moment, God is in you pleading to God on behalf of your pain. And we're not even aware of it sometimes. God is so deeply and intimately, though, connected to us in that comfort. That is one of the ways that God helps us in our pain. He's present. He is with us. Jerry Sitster, or Sit, Sit, Sir, I should have done that name like in the mirror a couple times. Jerry Sitzer, he's a professor in, uh, in Spokane, Washington. Am I getting that one right? Spokane. Just like, okay. Um, <laughs> he wrote a book called A Grace Disguised, and it's a really incredible book where he recounts how his faith was tested and then made stronger in the Lord when he and his family and his mother were all in the same van and they were hit by a drunk driver and he, he recalls the seconds waking up from the accident and seeing his mother and his wife and his daughter all dead in the car, three generations in a second. And he helps his other three kids out of the car and it's a powerful story of great pain that I would hope that would never happen again, but unfortunately, our world has pain like this. And as he reflects on what it was like as a single dad, he would put his three kids down in the evenings after this accident, and he said, I, I was looking for solitude because I wanted to grieve. I didn't want to just run from this forever. I wanted to grieve, and I needed to be alone to do that. 
So after the kids were in bed and he was alone in the house and the house was quiet, he would, be, he would sometimes read or pray or just sit without knowing what to say. And he says, I wanted to pray, but I had, I had no idea what to say, as if struck dumb by my own pain. Groans became the only language I could use, if even that, but I believed it was language enough for God to understand. That's the Spirit using our groaning to communicate to God. He's picking up on that. I remember reading what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that sometimes when overcome by suffering, we do not know how to pray. But Paul said our dumbness, that is inability to speak, not an intellectual thing, our dumbness before God is not offensive to him. Or it is not indicative of a lack of faith. It does not show a lack of faith or trust in God. Instead, it is an invitation for God to draw near and to intercede for us with groans that words cannot express. God takes over the grieving process for you and with you in those times when it is too hard to even say a word. I wanted to clarify what Lewis said in A Grief Observed because it sounds so... That's not the place you want to stay. <laughs> Where is God? He's not here. Period. Close the book. No. That's not what Lewis's faith led him. But he was being raw in an, in an honest moment of emotional pain. And when we are in that place, and we're wondering, where, where is God in my pain? We come back to this, this scripture and other scriptures and find comfort in that God is actually present so deeply, he, he's below words, he's at the groaning level of human frustration, and he's in that and working in that. God never says to us, that's your pain and that's your problem. We may feel distant for a season, but there is interceding happening, and God will draw near and comfort you. I don't know, again, I, I don't know all the stories in the room this morning. I don't know the suffering and loss. And as I prepared this sermon and prayed over it, overwhelmed by, am, am I really going like, <laughs> to say this? But this is in the text right here, that God is comforting us in our suffering. And I won't pretend that we in our Christian faith have an answer for every evil pain or suffering that's happened. We don't. We don't always know. Why, why does God allow things? Why do they happen? You need to know this morning that explanations aside, God is with you in that suffering. And his heart, his will is to comfort you. Look what he says. He says in verse 27 at the end, the Spirit intercedes for the saints because it's a nice thing to do. Actually, according to the will of God, this is God's plan. This is the reason for the Spirit. One of the reasons for the Spirit. The Spirit, sometimes called the Comforter. There is great comfort in this, in this passage. But this is not the only thing that the Bible says about pain. Well, God is with you. God is with us. But it is not the only thing that it says about pain. It says more. This passage actually teaches that God is, has a plan to one day deliver us from suffering. 
And that is, that is the hope of the Christian life, is, is the hope of heaven. And that's what we're going to look at now. We'll continue in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This statement is so shocking and so... Uh, it seems so pie in the sky that it's, you almost want to skip it if you've been in pain because it seems insensitive. But I think that comes from a misunderstanding of what this verse is saying. This verse is a nice one for some people to pull out of the Bible and throw on people who are suffering. This is wrong to do. And say, it's all going to work out for good. And why are they doing that? Because they don't have the capacity to handle your grief with you. They don't like the discomfort of your grief. So they're quick answering, oh, it's all going to work out. You'll be fine. Because they can't handle the pain you're experiencing. So they make it harder on you and read this verse wrong. Let me give you an example of how this is done wrong in just a Christian context. There's a church near where Shannon and I live. And I won't even give you the area because I don't want to give it away. They took the sign down, but I'm sh- they've had it up forever. It's a picture of balloons, like a party, and then it says, Welcome to God's party called life. <laughs> Welcome to God's party called life. Yeesh. Uh, every time I see it, I want to tear it down because... It's really awkward. It's very insensitive and unaware. And it's detached from the reality of pain. Uh, This church is actually near a hospital. And now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder how many people have turned out of that hospital and read that sign and thought, you know, they're thinking about their pain. And the sign is basically saying to them, what pain? All I see is a party. I'm guessing if I ask that church, why is this sign out here? Their intentions may be good, and they might even reference this, this verse for a reason to put that sign out. But that is not how God is answering our pain in this verse. And, and, and a problem with that is a lot of us have come to the Christian faith under an assumption that God would work out the sufferings in this life, and when that doesn't happen, when the sign that brought us to church that says, welcome to God's party called life, that doesn't happen, we start to lose our faith because we're sold magic beans that aren't actually going to happen. It's not the Christian's hope that everything would be perfect in this life. That's not our hope. God, God answers prayers, God heals, God moves in our weakness, but not everything is, is answered, and I don't even need to tell you that. Here's the correct understanding of this incredible verse. We have to look at the last part. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. To God's purpose. To God's plan. The things that are going to work out for good 
Those are going to happen to the people who are looped in to God's purpose and plan. Their ultimate destiny, the people who are in God's plan, their ultimate destiny is no pain, with God, everything taken care of in heaven. That is the promise. And you can read this verse, Romans 8.28. Everything will work out for you. It's in the Bible. Everything will work out for you. But you will be disappointed. You may very strongly relate to Lewis by saying, I think God is dreadful (laughs) because he told me this. Or you can read a verse like this. Read the verse like this. For those in God's plan, even what is bad in our lives will ultimately cooperate for God's plan. The things that are bad in our lives, God does take and ultimately he makes all things good. This is not a promise, uh, you know, I, thank you. I'm sorry, the amen threw me off, but I got to say, I love it, honestly. Thank you. (laughs) But I lost my track on my iPad, so, sorry. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Technology. Amen. Get it out. Get it out of here. Um, This promise that even though things don't work out in this life, they will ultimately work out for good. This is still a highly radical promise that you as a Christian could say, I know the pain I'm experiencing. God can use it for good. He will, things will be good ultimately through this suffering and pain. It it may feel false, it may feel insincere, but it is surely not. For Paul wrote it inspired by the Spirit in this word. That is a hope that we are in the purpose of God and that purpose will ultimately work out for good. And yet, through this time, we still have not answered the question that we started out originally with, which was, what is God doing about my pain? Or, does God care about my pain? We've talked about God comforting, so we've, we've answered it in the present, and now we're saying ultimately things will work out, but what's the, what's the basis for that? We just say you suffer as much as you want, and then maybe it'll work out. What is God doing about my pain? And, and I think a, a good question you might ask me here is, well, if God's going to make all good things, all things good later, why doesn't he make them all good now? What's, what's, come on. I mean, why wait? I'm good. Let's just make it good. Does God care or not? Postponing this thing? Kind of convenient. Again, our hope is not in things being always right and taken care of in this world, but it's in our heavenly hope of being raised with Christ. We have to look at verse 29 now for this. This is the rationale for how Paul can write chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good, and Lick the envelope, mail that to the church in Rome, and not be like, really, dude? Like, that's what you're saying to us? Here's his rationale. For those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our hope is being raised from the dead to join Christ. That's the plan of God. That's the purpose of God. Look again at verse 29. After the comma, after son, in order that. Okay. He is going to predestine us. He's pre... (laughs) That's like literally an oxymoron. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son in order that what? Why did Christ come, is what Paul's saying. What, what's, what's, what's Christ come for? What's the in order that? Did Jesus come to earth in order that we might have Christmas? Did Jesus come to earth that we might have good stories to tell our kids? Did Jesus come to earth in order that we might get some lessons in personal growth and maybe some leadership tips? Love books on leadership that relate to Jesus, but there's some good stuff there, but In order that what? Why? Why did Jesus come? The answer to all these questions is no. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross, and he died on the cross because of our sin. Because we in our sin, we are an affront to God. We rebel against God. We do not seek God. And because of that, God's anger and wrath was upon us. But Christ came to die in our place. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn, he, Jesus, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Christ died in our place. Jesus was God as a man, came to earth, lived among us, felt our pain, pain even on a cross, and as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for our sins in our place, he felt like he was in the valley of shadow of death. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt the door slam in his face, the sound of bolting and double bolting from the inside, and after that, silence. This is what Christ endured for us in order that we would be raised to be brothers and sisters with Christ. That as Christ was resurrected and is now with God, he is God, he's in heaven, we one day will join him. These bodies, things fall apart. These bodies where things are falling apart. This world where things are falling apart. This will be no more. Because we will be raised, resurrected with Christ. That's our hope. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's our hope. Christ's death is a gift to us. We must trust in him as our Savior in order to be saved, and his resurrection is our hope. And I love verse 30, because here, I think, Paul gives us evidence for why God's plan is currently unfolding. Look at this last verse with me. 
in order that, Christ, that we might be firstborn among many, many brothers with Jesus, here's the rationale. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. A lot of language going on there. A lot of verbs. That's, that's just boom, 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 boom. What's Paul saying? He's saying God has predestined his church to be saved. Those people he's already calling and has called. If you are in the room and you are trusting in Christ as your Savior and you are a born-again Christian, that is because God wrote your name in his book of life long ago. He predestined you and he also called you. Good reason for why you're here this morning. And he's also justified you. Because you get the righteousness of Christ. That's how we're saved. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is saying four stages. Three already done. Taken care of. Now we're pending glorification, which is to be made like Christ. With God, no barriers, and completely free of pain. And God will finish what he started. His plan for total salvation from sin and suffering is underway. It is not done yet in our lives, but it is underway. And Paul is giving you a map under which you can say, I, God's already, he's already called me. I remember when he called me. He, he's, he's justified me. I know that. Waiting on the glorification. That's our hope. We're going to be in heaven with Christ. That's our hope. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you've just been distancing yourself from God, maybe you consider yourself to be a spiritual person, but you're not sure where, where, where you're fitting in with, you know, label-wise or whatever, I, I ask you to consider the comfort of God, especially if your pain has been a reason for distancing yourself from God. Your creator, the God who made you, he knows the suffering and pain you are in. And, and the Bible is, tells us that he desires to comfort us in that pain. Furthermore, in Christ, we have the hope of heaven. And it's not an exclusive club. No one in this room has any edge on anyone else on being close to God. Everyone here that is trusting in Christ is saved by grace. And that grace and that gift is extended to all and it's received by trusting in Christ as Savior. If God is... I wanted to add this note that if God is speaking to you this morning, either, either about some pain or about trusting Christ or any of these faith dimensions, and you have more questions, we would love to pray with you after the service, or we even have the green connection cards in front of you, which I actually forgot to mention during announcements. But there are cards in front of the pews, and if you'd like our staff to pray for you, we would, we would love to do that or pray with you. In another letter to the Corinthian church, Paul hypothetically talks about what if Christ is not raised from the dead? Just kind of addressing the, the, the question, the thought, because some people in the church had been talking about it. And this is his conclusion when he thinks about what if Christ isn't raised? If Christ has not been raised, we are of all pity, uh, we are of all people 
to be most pitied. We are the lamest, saddest, most pathetic group of people if Christ has not been raised. We're people to be most pitied. Why does he say this? Because he knows the struggles a Christian faces that all people face. And if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope beyond this life, if there's nothing that God is saving us towards, then we are people to be most pitied. Because we're believing in something that is never going to happen. There's no end game here if Christ has not been raised. But this is not the case. Christ has been raised. And our hope this morning is in our pain, in our suffering, as God comforts us, that we will one day be raised with Christ, brothers and sisters. That is something your heart desires. And God is going to give it to us. Jesus said himself, in this world you will have trouble. Those were some of Jesus' last recorded words in the, in the Gospel of John, when he's with his disciples before he goes to the cross. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus says three other things. I will be with you. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That is our hope this morning. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, there are many things that could be said about our pain and suffering, and you are near to it. You are close with us, Lord. I pray for hearts and souls in this gathering this morning that are feeling distant from you, feeling like you're not there. Please draw near to them, Lord. Let them feel and experience your presence. Furthermore, God, fill our hearts with rejoicing at the hope that we have in you. Let that be our hope and our prayer. Thank you, Lord. Amen.